What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly quarantine pop culture fix. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing today, man? The content gods are good. Once again, mere weeks ago, nothing going on this weekend. A wasteland. Logic drops a retirement album announcement and then from the clouds, Taylor Swift. Of all people. And on top of Donda, too. I mean... (laughs) Of course, yeah. We're also getting into uh, Donda. Subscribe now. YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. We're also getting to Yandi and uh, Good Ash Job and uh, Cruel Winter and all those those albums. What was the video game one? Uh, Uh, TurboGrafx-16, of course. Got those leaks on the hard drive right now. (laughs) Um. We we have quite a bit of music to get to today. We're going to start with the TV show, but before we jump into the TV show, Dave, I was on Twitter, twitter.com, and uh, you know, people are people are all over the place in terms of do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Do you socially distance? Do you not socially distance? Well, our good friends the chain smokers. Oh my god. Hell, <laughs> hell a uh, a drive-in concert out in the Hamptons of New York. This past weekend, Long Island, baby, where uh, where the the rules don't matter apparently because people were not social distancing. This concert of wealthy white people. What do you expect? (laughs) But I wanted to ask you, what artist would you risk your life to go catch COVID to see right now? Is there any? It's a great question. (laughs) We we ain't ever getting older. We're going to chain smokers during quarantine. That's like that's a that's a phenomenal question. I really don't know. You know, younger me would say Kanye, but right now I'm not. I don't want to. I mean, I'll obviously go see Kanye again, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know. In this climate, I don't. I, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I, I was I was really sitting with it for a while. Biggie thought, hologram, maybe one one night yeah. only, something like I, that. <laughs> I, I think the only artist I would for sure be like, hey, gotta risk it, get the biscuit would be if Daft Punk was playing some like secret mm, show. Sure. So that, that's like literally once in a lifetime. They might never play again live. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anybody else that's on that level. Wear a fucking gas mask to the rave. Yeah, you, you <laughs> just have you fit to. right in. <laughs> Wear gas mask, gown up like I'm going into surgery, you know. Uh, or I guess just if you're treating COVID patients at the hospital. Shout out mm. to all those first-line workers. We appreciate you. And don't go to concerts, especially the chain smokers right now i miss them though man i miss them the chain smokers no no fuck them (laughs) no the concerts in general yeah Uh, i do too um definitely hoping people start taking this more seriously so those sorts of things can happen sooner hopefully but uh why don't we start with something that just started up this past weekend on the streaming service peacock nbc's streaming uh platform brave new world the Sky One Peacock uh, TV show starring your guy, Alden Ehrenreich, Han Solo. Oh, but it was so simple. <laughs> uh, and, and a couple other people. I mean, Harry Lloyd. I feel like I've seen him in quite a few things. Series Targaryen, the one true king, man. Of he, course. He looks so much like the dweeb version of Fastbender, though. It's like, it's like, oh my God. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's like hard for me not to like see wow. this. Should be, are, they, are, they, are they cousins? They actually look quite alike. They do look very much alike. Um, you also have Jessica Brown Finley in this. Demi Dalton. Moore? Yeah. I mean, 
uh, oh, some big names. But you know, I watched a couple. I watched an episode, got it through like an episode and a half. I know you've seen a, f- a few of these. How many are available on Peacock? Right I've now? seen the whole thing because I'm married oh. to the game, unlike you. Um, <laughs> there's nine episodes. This came out, you know, when Peacock launched on the 15th. And while Peacock is has various pricing tiers, including free options with ads, because Brave New World is an original show, you actually need to have a version of the premium uh, edition of Peacock to watch the show. However, you can get a week free trial or you can sign up on Android and get three months. So you can watch this show legally for free. And that's what I did. Seeing the whole thing. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot, a lot, a lot involved. And on the surface with the cast that that you named, uh, I, I I would have liked it to have been better. Man. So what you're telling me is this is another L for your guy, Alden. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really blame any of the talent, uh, the cast, uh, the acting talent when it comes to this. And I actually like a lot of them in moments in the show. But I think Brave New World, just as a property, you know, it's based off the famous Aldous Huxley novel from 1932, famous dystopian science fiction novel compared to 1984 from George Orwell over time. Um, that, that, that text has long been uh, flaunted as uh, difficult to adapt and has seen uh, miniseries and TV movies that weren't very good. And it's kind of been like an IP. At one point, Ridley Scott was trying to make this with Leo. And then that fell through and it seems Ridley has resigned himself. That's probably not, not worth doing. And, you know, if you watch this show or if you read the book, from what I've gathered from people that have read the book or revisited it recently, the themes of Brave New World and the themes we see on the television adaptation of it these themes are not as revolutionary or as new to dystopian storytelling as they may have been in the 30s they ultimately it's a very familiar thing you know i think of stuff like the matrix and westworld black mirror divergent hunger games a lot of these ideas about um like far you know utopian societies that have these strict caste systems and kind of like totalitarian ways of controlling their people. It, it's not like groundbreaking. And this show doesn't really do anything to elevate that despite a talented, good-looking cast and some really impressive uh, visuals from time to time with the show. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's one of those things that the, probably the time in the sun for this IP is just gone unless some like, true like innovator tried to tackle this in some really engaging way. But that's not what the show is. Well, I think the one thing I will say that probably sets it apart from the adaptations of those other things is there's a lot of sex in this show. A lot, lot, lot of nude, uh, full-on, raunchy. Consistent throughout the runtime. There are orgy <laughs> scenes, group sex, all kinds of stuff you could think of. And it's funny because it's all it, it, it's presented to you as like this society, this uh, New London society where there's no monogamy, no family and no privacy. That's like their, their log line, right? It's like part of that is like they just have sex, doesn't matter. They, there's no, uh, they're all like genetically created. So like mm-hmm. they're not going to get anyone pregnant. So they, they just fuck, do whatever they want. And they're supposed to fuck everyone and not stay consistent. And like has no meaning. So just enjoy yourself. And it's like eventually, uh, newsflash, uh, they, that, that starts to bother some of the characters and they realize mm-hmm. that they're, not feeling fulfilled despite everything society's telling them to be like 
none of like the plot points and the uh, narrative progressions wow you because you can see them coming because you've seen them before. So, and the, the sex angle is weird because it's like, like, like some early thrones, like a lot of Westworld. It's like, it's just so in your face to the, the viewer to be like, look at this hot people fucking <laughs> dance music. Get it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's cool, but like, I don't need to watch the show for that. So why am I going to like, it's not, it's not special. It's still not special at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a weird show, man. It's, it's, it's quite something. Well, you keep saying it's weird. Do you feel like what makes it weird is the, that it feels so out of place, you know, that it feels like an unnecessary, uh, like theme, a show that's like from an era gone by. Do you feel mm-hmm. like what's weird is that it's, kind of uh at least from the first episode i felt like a little bit disjointed paced a little bit weird there were moments where i was really engaged moments where i couldn't care less what was going on it's mm-hmm. kind of a complex w- world too like setting up kind of like how things got there and why yeah. all these abilities people have within this this mm-hmm. utopia is very there's like a lot to learn you know yeah that's true yeah and um i'd say i think the show kind of picks up and becomes a little more interesting once the early stuff that you saw goes away once John Alnair and Rex Kanger, once John goes to New London and like he's like a fish out of water in this mm-hmm. this thing and then the society that he's seeing he's like he's like y'all are a bunch of weirdos why do you think this way you're allowed to have different thoughts than what you were told to think and say and it's like mm-hmm. it's a lot of ultimately boilerplate stuff and it's just kind of disappointing because there is a lot of cool stuff you could explore with this right but I don't think the show ever makes really any effort to go down any of these paths. Hmm. You just, just kind of go down the middle and we have the, ba- the baseline, like the characters feel this and uh, John convinces them to think this way. And it's like, there's this, um, the epsilons, they're the lowest level of society in the caste system. They're like the working class. And, yep. uh, the epsilons love their work as society says, they're happy to do it. And then it's like, John starts talking to them and he's like, you don't have to fucking, vacuum that shit that i just broke it's okay this is bullshit and it's like wow i saw that coming like the fucking right. first time i saw one of these epsilon dudes it's like you knew that that's like the source of rebellion right there like mm-hmm. it's just well in the first so episode one of them kills himself you know throws yeah. himself off the mm-hmm. thing and i feel like like they do set the conflicts up right in the beginning right like you have um henry lloyd who plays bernard marx in the show he's kind of like this uh this uh what's it called like a alpha being so to speak uh, yeah like, he's a uh, alpha plus alpha plus the so top can, like, of society he's like a he's like a manager of sorts and like right <laughs> which is funny because really it means it's like he's just like fucking strapped when it comes to all the pills they have in the society mm-hmm. oh my god you watch so many people pop pills constantly <laughs> in this show um soma is what it's called it's like they uh, relegate their levels whenever they hear something or see something that's not the way it's supposed to be Yo, let me pop that green real quick. I'll feel good again, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then Alden's like, at one point, it's like, hey, you can have this feeling. You don't got to uh, check those levels, bro. And it's like, wow, again, saw that coming. But yeah, uh, Lo- Lloyd's character, Marks, he's kind of interesting because like he kind of goes up and down throughout the run of the show, whether you like him or you don't, because he's, mm-hmm. he's kind of like slowly fe- beginning to feel unfulfilled in his role, even though he has a alpha plus is supposed to be at the top of the privilege in society right. in New London. So again, they they could have explored it more though, and they don't. 
and and he's kind of following around Jessica Brown Finley's character, Lenina, and kind of saying like, hey, I see that you're having this monogamous relationship. Like, what's going on there? Like, you should not be doing that. It's prohibited, (laughs) you know? While meanwhile, he's kind of like, I I can't tell, is he longing for a partner or uh, what's the conflict there with him? It's actually not clear. And that's actually an issue I had with the show too, is there's some like basic, like, like top level societal conflicts you can just see coming because again, they're familiar. But in terms of the characters, like Marx, his motives don't come into view for a little while. And I think it's more about just he doesn't feel respected the way he wants to. And, and again, it all comes back to like fulfillment in society and stuff. And it's, um, yeah, it's kind of weird because like there's, they're kind of like paired off in the beginning of the show. Um, and then by the end of that pilot, when you see John, Aldenaris character, lay eyes on Lenina, you're like, oh, wow, well, that's going to happen. And right. shockingly it does. And <laughs> you know, it's just, well, it's kind of funny the way you describe it. It's almost kind of like woke bro comes into the society and is like, yo, it doesn't have to be this way. And then they're <laughs> like, what? Like brain explosion. It's funny. Cause he's not even, he's not even that. Apparently his, uh, Alden's portrayal, the way the character was written for the show is a little different from the book, but it's more just like, because he's from the savage lands, cause he's not from new London he uh you know he grinded in life he had a working class existence and he just kind of appreciates like more closer to what real life is or was mm-hmm. so he's all these weird people that i don't say weird but it's like he sees this like sanitized society and all these people just self-medicating whenever anything potentially not in line with the textbook happens and he's just like, wait, why? It's not even like he's woke. It's more just like he's doing the bare minimum because all these people don't know anything about like living. So it's, uh, I say like I was generally entertained most of the time. And even these like wild, like, like deep house orgy scenes do look kind of cool. Cause like the flashing lights and the cinematography and stuff. And I did find some of the uh, ancillary characters pretty engaging. Um, one of them is played by, uh, Hannah John Kaneen, I believe is her, how you say it. Uh, she played Ghost in Ant Man Two, and she was also mm. on Thrones. She's like the one who like organizes the like mm. party events and the sex events and stuff. Really engaging uh, performance. Really nice wig in the show. I like that. And like you know, because this is like a dystopian future setting, it has a lot of those things you expect, right? It's like those like stark, like white visuals and like futuristic out there fashion and stuff like that it has all that kind of cool stuff that you expect but again just like thematically it uh doesn't quite hit the highs it, i think it wants to or at least people used to think that novel should hit mm-hmm. so it's it's something well shout out to my guy will toledo getting that car seat headrest drop in the first yeah. episode couldn't so believe funny, it right? <laughs> i was like this car seat headrest is i i don't know if that makes sense for that character no uh, it's just it's just random. A music doesn't really a music with lyrics doesn't exist in New yeah. London. It's just instrumentals. Um, but I mean, g- good for them, I guess. Uh, I'll probably check out the rest of it. Maybe I'll give a, a thought or two. Um, I don't know. Peacock just hasn't really intrigued me as a platform so much. So I don't know. I mean, is yeah. this like is this the main thing that they have coming out? Yeah, they, I mean, this they have like that Psych movie, and they had yeah. that um. David Schwimmer comedy show that didn't really get good all, remarks. All knows from me. 
Yeah, so. so I don't think I'll be checking in for original content until like the Battlestar Galactica show from Sam Esmail happens, which is obviously years away. So, mm-hmm. you know, for now, it's just a library of those shows. And um, there's a good movie library, at least, you know, a smaller one, but there's some good movies on there. But like, you know, I think the big selling point right now is that the library uh, legacy stuff is free with mm-hmm. ads. Apparently, SNL on there it just like plays a channel where it just jumps through skits, which is probably like the only intriguing part. You know, I'm not big into NBC's like. If the Olympics so. had happened, we would have had like lots of Olympic like live watching and stuff integrated yeah. into it. So it does seem like Peacock kind of got a its legs cut off in a certain sense due to Corona. Jeez, well, Corona doing that to a lot of people. Let's uh, transition though from some tv to some music and we're gonna start with a an old friend of ours lupe fiasco um lupe the third (laughs) i mean for lupe it's been two years since we last really heard from him right uh when we reviewed drogas light um in 20 i guess no drogas wave sorry in 2018 Drogas light was 2017 um you know that that was uh, Lupe's very long and expansive and thought-provoking, maybe a little difficult to access at points, uh, album about slaves that fell off a slave ship uh, mm-hmm. and then were stopping other slave ships or helping to sink other slave ships to stop them from their their fate at that point. Um, we liked it, and I, I think mm-hmm. we... we are always blown away by Lupe's technical ability. He's always solid. Um, I think he... Even if the output isn't always fun to listen to or, or uh, catching and, and something we want to go back to, it's undeniable that Lupe is a great rapper. Um, would you put him in your top 10, though, Dave? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Check out Dave's Twitter for his thoughts on that, at Martin Swagger. Um, it by numbers, man. <laughs> he's doing it for engagement, I know. Yeah, but like, For it's, sure. It's hilarious sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, um, the last album, Stack That Cheese, amazing song, sequel yeah. song to Hip Hop Save My Life, one of his most famous mm-hmm. songs. And I think that was a really great album to hear because it was kind of a return to like Lupe more or less hitting on some of his really wide-eyed conceptual things he's tackled. And, you know, I also like Tetsu and Youth from 2015. I think Mural's one of his best songs ever. So in general, I think the last part of the decade was a pretty good one for Lupe, all things considered, because... You know, he's still a guy who is not afraid to speak his mind on social media and stuff and is more or less not in the rap establishment, hasn't been for some time. So he's always kind of an interesting figure as far as like, you know, older heads go. And now we have this really slight uh, new EP that kind of came without much fanfare and definitely a change of pace, let's say. Well, I was going to ask you, do you feel like that that strong end of the decade rolls into the new decade on that, uh, on the same high for Lupe with house, this five song EP. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think this is this EP special at all, but I enjoyed listening to it. I think there's some weird choices involving it, mainly around uh, off white virtuoso Virgil Abloh having multiple spoken word sections on a uh, 20 minute EP, but yeah, I mean, this is cool because Lupe's just kind of like, he's just kind of freewheeling mm-hmm. on these songs where he's actually rapping and it's not the spoken word segments, you know? And it's it's kind of refreshing because he's always going to be good at that. Yeah. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, I, I thought it was fun. Uh, I thought, uh, I think it's the song Shoes. Might might be Sledum. I'm, I'm 
getting them mixed up in my brain at the moment. But one of them, he really like rides over these like keys, really like his voice kind of like melds into it. He does a couple lines about like Fauci and yeah, you know, that's the last one. L five nine five. L five nine five. Rap Anthony Fauci. <laughs> but I mean, it's it, it's the sort of thing where I'm probably not going to come back to this often. Uh, I thought some of the, uh, Virgil Abloh's um, spoken word pieces were interesting. Uh, a bit galaxy brain for me, but interesting. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, yeah, you know, these are your Air mods, your Air Aubreys, if you will. And it's like, okay, guy. Like, and the whole thing, like, I think, what's it? Um, track one, technically, homemade, mm-hmm. is just like a minute and a half of a Virgil speech he previously gave. It's, I guess, mm-hmm. some talk about fashion or whatever, right? And it's just fake deep nonsense, which is kind of funny because Lupe has been prone to that as well over time. Sure. So I didn't mind it. It's just kind of weird. It's like, wow, I never, I never really heard Virgil speak. Uh, like I never heard like any deep speeches from him before, you know, and he, he, the, I guess this is a, a comeback for him in hip hop after he butchered the original pop smoke posthumous album cover. So whatever. Um, I did think uh, the second uh, dinosaurs. Um, yeah. Dinosaurs, which Virgil is also on. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, like Lupe just kind of freewheeling it. And you have uh, Kalen Ellis is the producer on all this. He's a Florida mm-hmm. producer. And I thought none, none of these beats are like, well, I think we'll wow you. But they're they're kind of just smooth, more or less understated beats. And they just let Lupe do his thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a solid five, 20 minutes. I mean, it, it, it'll it at least hold your interest, I'll say. And I also got to say, I think Lupe has one of the best like rap voices. It's so distinct, so clear. I just feel like it really is a... Mm-hmm. a solid and memorable uh vocal uh every time he comes through so uh i don't i don't think any of the songs here really make the best of 2020 list but uh check that out nostalgia best of 2020 on spotify i think we were probably going to put maybe one or two songs from flo millie with her debut mixtape project however you want to put it ho why is you here flo millie shit Let's go, baby. Yeah, Dave. So uh, going back to your Twitter, I saw you you tweeted on Friday, Flo Millie got the first spin out of all this music that dropped on Friday. Tell me why. Uh, because it was what I expected it to be. It's fucking fun. <laughs> Flo Millie just has a lot of energy. And she's just another upstart female MC. It's great that we can just have lots of these and then it's not a big deal anymore right mm-hmm. that's what Flo Millie represents and you know for this being her her, her debut mixtape and she really only has been known as a rapper for about a year with be flow mix that first single which became a tiktok hit largely due to her own uh, efforts to promote the song um you know it's like we have a steady dose of singles most of them made this tape not all of them but it's just you can just tell that she's kind of like in like the Rico nasty side of things when it comes to the way modern female MCs are, and she's just fun and she does not give a shit, and it's really refreshing to hear. You know, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I listened to her on my run. Uh, she kept me going the whole time. A lot of energy throughout. I appreciated that. Um, I also, w- when I was running, I was kind of just thinking. I feel like even though this is her first project. Fairly new, like you said, she 
kind of only has this one major hit that mm-hmm. really blew up through TikTok. I feel like she is positioned to be right in that like second, third tier of you know female rappers. I, I you know, and I'm qualifying obviously. I mean, if you put her in terms of other artists, I haven't really thought about that. But I feel like there's like that, that three at the top. You know, you got Cardi, you got Nicki, mm-hmm. and you got Megan. And then mm-hmm. after that, I think there's a lot of really solid artists in the next that, that next tier, and it's a little bit more varied. You know, you got Rico, you got Tierra Whack. Mm-hmm. I think Flo Millie slots right in there or at least is like knocking on the door to that and that's some that's a lot to say after only one project yeah uh, i think that sound too uh in the party has also become a bit of a hit for her as well mm-hmm. so uh not a one-hit wonder and it's kind of it is it is really cool to like revisit how beef flow mix became a hit because that was old tiktok when you could throw 200 bucks a rising influencer and have them do a dance to your song that then gets a hundred thousand likes 200 bucks and then spawns what 200,000 people using your song on tiktok and the rest is history right um she used the same guy uh what's his name uh fuck something nice it's the same guy who uploaded old town road to tiktok like <laughs> fucking smart. really smart right She's and it worked incredibly smart yeah and then um, soon enough, she got uh, snatched up by RCA Records, and now she's a real artist. So it's cool to see. I think if I had one critique of, of this mixtape, it's that I think a couple of the songs, in terms of beat, didn't blow me away. Sounded actually a little bit samey, kind of like that dun, 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 like, mm-hmm. kind of like just kind of like that strong beat. But the songs where she kind of fell more into like the melodic, kind of flowing with the song, maybe a little bit more like R&B-ish, uh, something like Week, which was yeah. um, one of her other singles. Mm-hmm. I think I think she really rides that well, and I I felt excited because it felt like this isn't somebody that's like a one trick pony, right? They're not going to be. It's not like Stay Solid Rocky, where uh, <laughs> we talked about last week. Kind of had just like that one song mm-hmm. that kind of caught attention, and I guess he'll have probably to make something very similar to keep his star up. Flo Millie feels like she has a lot of potential to grow as an artist and. I think this is a great first showing mm-hmm. for her. Yeah, I think Week, Send the Addy, and 19 was my uh-huh. favorite sequence. It's really just about how men suck and she doesn't give a fuck. You know, <laughs> it's great. Uh, she's from Mobile, Alabama. Really the first rapper in a long time that I can think of out of Alabama. So that's cool. Shout out to, no, not, not shout out to Alabama. No, but, no, we fucked uh, that. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be adding one of those, one of these songs to the playlist. Dave, Let's talk about an unfortunate early retirement for Logic, one of your favorite rappers. Sometimes. Uh, yeah, at times. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just a sad day, you know, when when Logic hangs up the mic and goes to Twitch to become a, a very lucrative gaming streamer, apparently. What? Exactly. I mean, uh, he's never shied away from his love of gaming and nerd culture so it's not totally unsurprising um he clearly is being very thoughtful about his post-retirement plans though so i guess he wants as he, what you say he wants to be a, a dad he's already a dad he wants to be a good dad and i guess being a streamer at home is easier than uh, going on tour for half the year every year for like the last six years which is what he did so i, you, I guess you can understand it i, I was much more skeptical about the whole retirement thing because it's it's a very common reframe we've heard in hip hop 
mm-hmm. uh, Jay Z, Little Wayne, uh, Little Uzi Vert. Like it happens a lot. It very rarely has any substance to it or even lasts all that long. But you know, hearing uh, No Pressure, Bobby Six LP, some of these songs, you're like, wow, okay, you actually do sound like you're ready to stop. And I did like this album a lot. And honestly, the way this this album framed it for me was I'm just even more disappointed in other parts of his career because of his lack of consistency. Mm-hmm. I always trump, tra- trump, uh, trumpeted triumphed about his really good songcraft and album making. And he just really got away from that for like the last four years and just was disappointing because you knew it was there. And we talked about uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. His last album came out uh, early in 2019. And it, he just felt completely aimless mm-hmm. and kind of at the top of the game with nothing left to prove. And it turns, it turns out he accepted that that was the case and decided to hang it up. And I'm just disappointed in some of those other albums even more now because like, you could see this right here. Like He's so in command and so aware of his situation on this album. It's, it's just, to me, it's just kind of disappointing, again, that uh, he, he's kind of lost his way the past like few years. Yeah, it's funny, just going through, since we started the podcast, uh, the, the projects he's put out, everybody, I think we thought it was okay. Like, mm, no, I hate that. I think that one's, that's my <laughs> least favorite one. I think that's I thought that Ansel one was okay. <laughs> I mean, come on. Ansel, it has 1-800 on it, which yeah. is the inflection point in his career, of course. But um, that's when he started getting into weeds for me. It has and, an awesome cover. Well, they all do. Shout out Sam Spratt. We'll give him that. <laughs> uh, Bobby Tarantino, too. Eh. Young Sinatra, four. Mm. That was the last breath of fresh air. And then Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I mean, that's... Trash. Uh, it's not a strong showing, especially because, no. what, you look up Under Pressure, good album. I think Bobby Tarantino, good. Um, incredibly True Story. I mean, uh, I don't know. That's the under pressure and couple true story are my two favorites. His first two albums uh, and young Sinatra four was very interesting because when I first heard it, I'm like, Oh, here he is. He's back to mixtape. Bob, we got the boom bap samples. We got the throwback rapping to rap. You know, he's not delving into modern trends like he did on the Bobby Tarantino songs. It's more like back to the old school shit. And when it hit, it did hit, but it ultimately was a, I believe that what he called that an album. I believe it was an album that just, it, it didn't quite, had the replay value I expected when I first heard it, even though mm-hmm. the song like Wu-Tang Forever, where you get right. this really inspired effort from the entire Wu-Tang clan. Like obviously it was a huge flex and that song's still great, but yeah, it's like, uh, it was, it was when I heard Confessions of a Dangerous Mind last year, I, I really kind of separated logic and I was like, okay, I think I just need to just lower my expectations and he's just moved to a different place in his career. And then hearing this and I'm like, wow, this is, this is a direct sequel to his debut album. And just as kind of thoughtful about everything he's doing, and it, it, it's it's quite it's quite the ten year career, you know, because of because of the wild fluctuations in, in in quality, despite the obvious talent that Logic has always displayed. Well, and I think what really helps this album to feel so cohesive, but also so much of what we really love about Logic is no ID. He's back mm-hmm. helming, you know, the 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 production of this, and uh, I think it's pretty obvious. And I and I also think 
I think it was a lot more focused and it was a very obvious, like, these are my, this is my perspective on things, mental health, society, why I'm retiring, why I'm stepping away, what, why being a father is important to me. Um, and he kind of just created this like um, almost like documentary style, like final album in a way, you know, it has like the interludes where mm-hmm. the like female robot voice is like, he listens Dahlia, to this. Back yeah, from Dahlia. the first two albums. It's, it's, it's a nice completing the circle <laughs> once again, because she had, she, she had popped up in the beginning. And, and I think you can hear so much of him really putting his whole influence into this. And, and they talk about the influences that he used, um, you know, they shout out Kanye and, uh, yeah. Outcast sample oh, yeah. on GP4. Yep, with the it's the drums from Elevators, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very obvious. Like the Eric Badu sample on here. Yeah, uh, in general, a lot of samples, interpolations and, and stuff. Kanye references, and it uh, infuses like the the jazzy R and B side of Logic that I think he flows and, and really meshes with and feels inspired by. Uh, you know, he names drop, he name drops his heroes in this too. I mean, like he literally like talks about Quentin Tarantino, I think like twice, I think it's right. It's, <laughs> it's very much like it, just everything logic has made his career. feels like he's put in here and yeah, I was really impressed by it. Um, it actually makes me sad that he's walking away, but like you said, I think he actually lays out. He doesn't really feel like he has anything to say anymore. His life is focused around being a father and that's pretty boring. So <laughs> not really much else to talk about, I guess. Uh, I'm sure that will change. I don't think he'll stay retired. But what, what were the songs on here that stood out to you? The most? I mean, speaking to uh, Logic, really getting into why he feels he needs to hang it up. I think there's two obvious places. Debbie Dadbod, which just got a music video, and Dark Place. Mm-hmm. And they're very different songs. Dark Place, as it suggests, is a much more moodier, uh, introspective song. And Dadbod is quite self-aware and logic has attempted to be self-aware in the past. It's often come across as really corny or over the top. But I think in this case, you, you, you hear logic t- is tiny telling you how his life has changed and what his actual circumstances are and how it's not like the uh, stereotypical rapper on a pedestal, you know, lifestyle. And then on dark place, you really hear him talking about um, kind of those insecurities and, 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 you know his struggle with mental health i guess of late and it's funny if you can if you remember a young sinatra four he openly acknowledged if you know came to be a good rapper if he would have time for a family and now he's literally coming to the conclusion that i would not have time for a family the way i want to and that would make me sad therefore i can't keep doing this it's uh some of his most introspective uh, i think musings he he shared yeah I, I think he lays himself out here pretty bare in, in a lot of this. Um, I agree. I really liked those two songs. I mean, in terms of like other songs that really stood out, I felt like it was just an easy listen of an album. Mm-hmm. I think it really flowed well. Um, I guess I really liked Man, Man I Is. I thought that was a really mm-hmm. strong track. Um, just very like R&B. has like those horns, that guitar that you kind of ride on. Um, let's see. What else? Amen. I really liked one of the la- last tracks stood out to me after I heard him say, which I thought also was pretty good. I don't know. What what were the tracks that you found yourself going back to? Yeah, I meant, well, I think No Pressure Intro hit my line, GP4. That's a really strong um, uh, start. And G- GP4 is a bit of a banger. 
before that, you have Hit My Line, which kind of reminds me of some older songs, like, I don't know, maybe Fade Away, where it's almost like more, or, um, yeah, it's like m- more understated, not as aggressive logic, um, kind of like more sing-songy. And then later on, you have the sequel to Soul Food, Soul Food 2, which is on his debut album. You know, that's a good one for the fans. And later on, right at the end of the album, right, you get a, this is the end of the no pressure sessions or program, whatever it's phrased. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for the Ultra 85. And it's really just logic being like, thanks to all my fans, glorified yeah. outro, right? And I thought that was an interesting moment because Ultra 85 has long been hyped up as this um, to be released logic project a la various Kanye projects that we know by name and nothing else, right? And it seems like Logic is basically like, like saluting to the fans, like, hey, um, don't think that's ever happening, but I see you guys. Peace. You know, that was yeah. kind of cool. Because Logic has talked about, he's, he's kind of like a Mac Miller. He just has multiple projects, more or less complete, just on the hard drives. And maybe we'll get one of those one day, who knows. But um, I thought it was cool to see him kind of acknowledge the... Uh, those hardcores there. I also really liked uh, Five Hooks, speaking of samples. So, you know, this is an album that I think, like you said, it's really easy to listen to and you can kind of just throw it on at any point and just kind of enjoy it. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of his strongest, if not his strongest projects. I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty obvious. I think my favorite quotable would be from Celebration where he's speaking to Twitch. He says, I'm Spike Spiegel, but I'm known to be vicious. That's a reference to Cowboy Bebop legendary anime so you know it's very very logic-esque dropping an anime bar (laughs) well i think the intro to that even is he watched a lot of anime while yeah recording this right cowboy bebop trigun and samurai shampoo yep three uh shonen (laughs) animes dude i mean you're i I would consider you a fairly big logic fan um how how are you feeling about if this is his last album do you feel like like, this is really, like, do you think this is it, I guess? And then how are you feeling just in general? This is? It does seem clear that he wants to be away for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, he makes a really strong, compelling, thoughtful case, personal case about why that is. So I, I, and I, and I didn't think this going until I heard it, but I, now I do believe that it'll be some time before we hear him again. I, we will hear him again. Um, he's only 30. He's just too young to n- mm-hmm. never come back. How, I mean, he's completed music. He has Twitch. He might fucking play snippets on Twitch sometimes. Who knows, right? Like, but if, if it's going to be a while, you know, he's released a project, I believe it was every single year of the 2010s, except for one year. You have all of his, you have his, all of his mixtapes, all of his mm-hmm. albums. And that's a lot of music and a lot of variation as he's going. And as I said before, not all of it was good. Some of it was really frustrating and, and, and annoying. And I think at Logic's worst points, he would just be rapping to rap and not really making much sense, and not saying much of anything, which is again frustrating for a guy who we knew had things to say. So, I, I, I do I just find this a really graceful exit, and even if it's a temporary one, so I'm quite happy with it. And at the end of the day, he's got a fucking lot of music, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a while before I think I'm tired of all the songs I like of his because he's put so much out already. Well. I uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed Logic's last album ever. Um, I wonder if he would do like the Donald Glover thing, where he you know kind of drops the name and comes back, and just says uh, I don't even know something Bobby whatever Bobby Hall Bobby Hall something like that third or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. 
See Logic, thank you for the, the Great Less album. Now on to someone that also surprised us. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's interesting because Kanye earlier in the week having a bit of a meltdown. Uh, and I, obviously we're starting off to us with section talk about Kanye, but they are inextricably linked. Um, Kanye's going to drop Donda this Friday. So it seems he like he might be in the bit of a, uh, an episode, uh, you know, who's publicly putting out there. This family is trying to uh, get him to see a psychiatrist, lock him in the house, have him mm-hmm. into the hospital, whatever they were trying to do. And then Taylor Thursday is like, Hey, got this uh, surprise album coming tomorrow. Just enjoy. You know, I had a lot of thoughts during COVID and then Donda doesn't drop and this does. And I think the really interesting what thing, what a W man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> Taylor's just been, I think getting a lot of W's this year. Um, I, I mean, she, she released a documentary. We reviewed it pretty shameless, like self promotion, but yeah. I think the one thing that Taylor has done well and kind of came out of that was her speaking politically kind of mm. taking this stance as a public figure of which side of uh, societal issues she wants to be advocating for. And I think she's actually been receiving a lot of praise for that. And kind of as she's linked to Kanye, Kanye has been getting a lot of negative reaction to some of his uh, societal and political stances he's been taking publicly. Um, I think this album is a complete win for her. Uh, this is her indie album. You know, there's really no other way to put it. It's it's indie pop, indie rock, indie singer songwriter, uh, and the songs are good. Her writing is probably the sharpest it's ever been. Now, this is the butt for me. This is probably like my fifth favorite Taylor Swift album. Ah, okay. Like it's just I, I, maybe it's the time of year it dropped. It feels like this should have been dropped three months from now. Maybe you know, in the middle of. Uh, mm of October. Maybe it's um, that coming off of Lover, which I thought really blended some of her uh, poppiness with some of her more thoughtfulness and and some really great production from Jack Antonoff. It felt like this is a good lane for Taylor. This feels like a a maturing, but also kind of still giving us the bangers. There's no bangers on here, Dave. Mm -hmm. There's no bangers, but this is a really heartfelt album. And I think for that reason, this is a total win for Taylor. How are you feeling about folklore? Yeah, as you said, it's just very interesting because it's an anti-pop album. It's kind of everything Taylor Swift has actively not done in the past. This is an album that had no lead single, no promotion. Um, it, it's coming at a time where the music industry was ripe for someone to seize the moment of this caliber. I think everyone for the past few months is like, oh man, if Rihanna dropped now, or Frank Ocean, someone has been anticipated. We know Adele's coming in a few months. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think anyone ever thought that Taylor Swift no. would drop her second album in less than a calendar year. And no. yet, it's not the album for that moment because it's by design not for her, her stadium tours. You know, it, it, It's not what she's done before. It's just kind of a personal album that I think generally speaking, production wise, is more designed to highlight her biggest strength, her songwriting. You know, it's not trying, she's not forced to like keep up with her vocals on any of these songs, right? It's really just about the writing and the song craft. And 
as you expect with good tailored projects, that songwriting is really strong once again. And to me, it's it's just so funny because this is everything 1989 is not, you know, and it's also a lot unlike Lover, right? Because after Reputation, she kind of recalibrated with Lover. And now it seems like, you know, maybe Lover, Lover does not get the big Grammy noms that she was hoping for after Reputation also didn't, right? She still wants that third album of the year. Hasn't gotten it. And now it just seems like she's no art. Fuck it. I'm just going to do what I want. I don't give a shit what anyone else thinks. Yeah. And this is what I'm feeling right now. So this is what I'm going to make. And, you know, some Zoom sessions with Aaron Dessner from The National, as well as Jack, of course. How could he not be here? And also a little bit of Justin Vernon and get something that's, you know, I think, I think for Taylor fans, there's still a lot here to like because her songwriting shines once again. And it's also interesting because as, I think as Taylor's openly, I believe it was on, on one of her tweets, there are songs that are not really about her. They're, they're st- either fictional stories or literally biographical uh, retellings, right? Like the last great American dynasty song. So it's, uh, I, think, I think it's a lot to take in ultimately, but, and, and, and we've been talking about Taylor a lot of late, as you mentioned, with Miss Americana with updates to the Kanye feud with the Scooter Braun feud. You know, this is her second album, Republic Records. She owns this album. And I think it says a lot that she made an album that she knows probably won't be the source of her, of her most lucrative publishing that she now controls. And yet this is what she made. And despite all that, without no promo, this set the Spotify first day record, mm-hmm. breaking Ariana Grande's mark from, with Thank You Next. 80.6 million streams day one. And the one, track one, is the biggest female song debut on Spotify as a result. And there's other records with Apple as well. So qu- quite the unexpected uh, moment in pop music. Yeah. Um, it really just dominated Friday and, and pretty much the whole weekend. I mean, I, I, I saw so many people tweeting about it, so many people talking about it, giving it a lot of praise. And I, I think earned praise on this. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, the production from Desner. Um, you have Jack jumping in, I think, four or five songs, including Cardigan, lead single. Desner's on nine of the 16 tracks. Jack is on four. It's, uh, you know, it, it's really impressive. And, you, you know, obviously Justin Vernon, I think, obviously was a big influence for this. He jumps on Exile, which I, I think is maybe not one of the strongest songs on the record, but I think the ending of that song mm. is really awesome. And I think more of a testament to what you talked about, where Taylor isn't, trying to catch you like on this on this album she's not trying to hook you in in the first five seconds like she's not dropping a shake it off where like you're just in from the second that song starts she is like these are slow burns that you really have to like listen to hear the story i think some of them have some pretty catchy hooks but some of them don't and i i think that the fact that those songs you know they shouldn't have to rely on writing these catchy hooks but to could still write these really strong songs it's almost more like phoebe bridgers than like ariana grande in a sense you know like it's it's yeah, really impressive sure. what she did here and i think it like you said it kind of just shows the the range that she has and the real talent that that she has it's funny to, to think about where she was with reputation what two or three years ago to now it's like 17 how like she totally like righted the ship people were saying after reputation like oh taylor's first real misstep and Reputation still did okay commercially. I know that the tour still sold, but it's like critically, I think mm. she got a lot of love after Lover. And now she's really getting a lot of 
critical acclaim for sure. Um, I, w- I wanted to ask you one. You mentioned the track "The Last Great American Dynasty." Mm-hmm. I was I was reading some theories about the album. Did you did you read this theory that that song, while being about the per- the famous uh, heiress that owned Rebecca Harkness, Rebecca Harkness, who that, Taylor Swift now owns that home that was being referenced in Rhode Island, insane. But years now, apparently, there's a, a line in there that is the same line that she uses in "This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things," which was reportedly a song about Carly Kloss and Ew. their potential relationship. And people are saying that this might be like the sequel to that, the follow-up, because Carly huh. Kloss has famously oh, fallen fuck. from grace. That's right. Or at least out of the Taylor's grace. Kushner, no right? Friends. Yes, she's a, a Kushner at this point. I thought that was pretty interesting. Wow. You know, when I first heard it, I immediately thought of her brief relationship with Connor Kennedy. Mm. I guess yes. the Kennedys, a great American dynasty. Yeah. You know? That's what I thought of. But it's actually interesting. You know, you listen to the song and you read about it. You're like, oh, wow, this is actually just kind of a story yep. on its face about Rebecca Hartness. And that's cool because that's not something Taylor Swift has done all that much, mm-hmm. you know? And, and because she's such a strong songwriter, she can actually make an engaging song that's literally like Wikipedia. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Really and cool. a lot of these songs, I mean, some of them I think are personal and some of them feel like just kind of pulling from memories or pulling from experiences she's thought about. There's the, like the love triangle three. I think it's uh, Betty, yeah, Cardigan, right. and Illicit Affair, uh, which those three are supposed to be written from each perspective of a love triangle. We don't know if Taylor is uh, referring to something she experienced or not, but she's obviously jumping perspectives. She couldn't have been all three unless she's had multiple love triangles. Perhaps that's the case. But it's it's interesting because it does feel like Taylor isn't just writing about heartbreak and you know lost loves and things. Like a song like Seven, it seems like she's talking about a little kid that she might have been friends with that you know whose parents were abusive and like wanting yeah. them to like like to save them in a sense and not have to be in a, dom- a domestically violent situation. Um, this is me trying. I thought it was a really engaging song about breaking up, which you know kind of goes back into the Taylor mold. But then you have something like Mad Woman, which is more of a yeah. political commentary about like, oh, like you know, it, women aren't supposed to get angry. Women aren't supposed to show these sorts of emotions or mm-hmm. act this way. It's kind of her like you ought to know in a sense. It's, and Mad Woman really stood out to me because I just think it's a much stronger attempt than I think actually lands this time for this kind of message when you juxtapose it with the man from lover, mm. which I think the, the man still resonated with a lot of people, but to me it was a very um, heavy handed kind of over the top mm-hmm. way in terms of way it was written and stuff. But with mad woman, uh, it's still quite a cutting song, but I think it just gets to that message in a much stronger, uh, I think more, more convincing way. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, thinking of these songs, I mean, there's some songs here, like you're, ref- you're speaking to, you, she's referencing her teenage years. She's referencing kind of like pre-fame relationships and stuff. And again, the, the perspective she's presenting there, that almost feels like you could hear that on like Fearless or something, you know, I mean, not the so- sonically wise, but like the, the lyrical content and stuff. Right. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. And there actually been some, speaking of theories, there has been some theorizing about um, Betty and whether it's actually uh, like gay canon in terms of like mm. these characters and whether it's actually a gay relationship. Yeah. And there's some theorizing about the names of the characters are actually the names of Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively's kids, mm-hmm. uh, daughters. 
Yeah, so, I guess so. It's an interesting reading if you want. Definitely. You know, to, to speak to your point about how you could have seen these sorts of songs, or at least this material on something like Taylor's first album, 17, uh, it's, it's like a more mature perspective of it though, right? It's like her looking at these things that are happening and like really, I think, teasing out the emotion between the interactions. Whereas, you know, like teardrops on my guitar, it's like just this like longing for this like teenage love. Whereas something like Betty, it's not only, or Betty and and Cardigan and Mm. Alyssa Affair all tied together. It's not just like that longing and like the relationship breaking up. It's like really about like betrayal. And then like uh, trying to like win someone back, but knowing that the relationship is broken or feeling like you were just tossed aside, but you know, feeling reinvigorated with someone new or when that opportunity comes back around. I think it's, it's, it's a sign of her growth while also I think feeling a bit grounded more in, in like you said, her, her past writings, any tracks that you go, that you say would be like by far the best for you or that you found yourself going back to the most. I think my favorite song is the first one, the one. Yeah. The one's really good. I've listened to that a few times. You know, I think that one is just quite easy to listen to. Sounds really good. And it's kind of the mission statement from the start. Um, I'm on some new shit. It's like her second line, you know? Yeah. Um, I like the one a lot. I also like Great American Dynasty. Those are probably the ones I listen to the most so far. Yeah. Um, and I think to me, folklore, seeing this massive streaming success, right? Without any promo and being such a s- strict John return from her, seeing the still the mountains of success she's getting. I hope this convinces Taylor to continue to just operate on her own terms. You know, now that she's in full command of her career, you know, do what you want, girl. Do what you want because in the, the day you are kind of too big to fail. I actually saw some people comparing her to like older period Beyonce, where it's like it doesn't really matter if you're actually making huge hits. You can just do what you want, and people will be there when you want to be there. Or, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I'm I'm very curious to see what happens next. You know, because she was gonna tour this year for lover and obviously that did not happen due to the pandemic mm-hmm. now whatever plans i believe i believe we have postponed dates for 2021 i'm not positive but is this album gonna factor into that all that much there are from what i know there are obviously slower moments at her tour stops where she takes out the guitar and, and does some stuff these songs actually fit into those sections but i'm, I'm actually just really curious like where what is where are taylor's goals moving forward or was this really just kind of product of COVID product of isolation and just kind of something she wanted to dabble in or will this really mark like Taylor kind of leaving like mainstream pop stardom actively chasing that, leaving that behind. It's interesting. uh, uh, And obviously we won't know, but this could be a real inflection point in terms of her career and and the direction it goes in. Um, Just to circle back, I wanted to shout out, couple of songs i think august into this is me trying are probably my two favorite uh back to back the like the the string and like the build-up on 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 august i think is really strong but i think the song that is going to be taken away from this and just be like the taylor classic from this album that people point to is my tears ricochet i have a feeling Mm. like that one's just gonna that's like the the total heartbreak like there the every line in that song is like perfectly written i think Maybe it's not her biggest one right now, but I think people are going to be coming back to that one a lot. So mark it down. When it's her biggest song in like 10 years, you can come back to this podcast, which hopefully you're following. Hit that subscribe button. 
and let me know how red I was. But Dave, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. What should the people be listening to, watching, intaking? More music on the way. Kanye, maybe. Probably not, but put that to the side. We have Dominic <laughs> Fike's debut album, something I'm very, very interested in. I think Dominic Fike, speaking of stardom, is someone who very quickly approach the high level. So I'm very interested to hear that. We also have another EP from Black Thought of the Roots. His Streams of Thought EPs have been fucking flames. Mm-hmm. Volume 3 coming Friday. We have an EP from Nick Caution of Pro Era and Beast Coast fame. Uh, Nick only spits bars. So <laughs> looking forward to hearing more of those. And Shoreline Mafia's debut album, the hottest group, hip-hop group in LA right now. Uh, it's coming, and I can't wait because I love these dudes. So <laughs> we got all that. There's also an IFC Films uh, release on demand called Summerland I'm interested in. Mm. And The Umbrella Academy Season 2 debuts on Netflix on Friday. So we'll begin to that soon. So Check yeah. out that white violin, dog. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so for Dave Martinson, I'm Pat Sheehan. Follow us at NostalgiaPod on Twitter and SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. Hit that subscribe on YouTube and wear a mask. We'll see you next week. Yeah.